welcome everyone to the Gen Z podcast, where we give you a bit of information of a topic, a bit of perspective on a topic, and mainly just talk about our feelings. Today, you are joined by me, CJ, along with my co-hosts. Sam, hi, I'm uh, by myself in Gen Studio tonight. As well as... Hi, I'm Brayden. I'm coming to y'all from beautiful Wisconsin. And today we are talking about the uh, somewhat controversial topic of child labor. So to preface what we're going to be, what spurred this conversation tonight was about two weeks ago, the uh, Iowa Senate passed a law that would expand or repeal essentially child labor protections. Uh, what it did is it made it so you could be working as a, uh, you could be working at meat packaging plants as well as assembling lines and roofing uh, companies uh, for people that were 16 and 17, while also making it easier uh, for children that were uh, 15 and 14 to work longer hours into the night. The main issue uh, with this bill that the and this was passed uh, along party lines by the GOP. Uh, the main issue or objections to this bill was that what were said by the Dems were talking about the dangers of these professions that we are putting our young children and teens into, as well as not giving them any additional compensation or protections. This is different from another job that would be safer because there was absolutely a time and place for that, which we'll get into a little bit later. But that was the main issue. Another bit of recent news stories that have happened within the past few weeks uh, is most recently there was a case. Now, granted, McDonald's uh, did release a statement saying that they were not for this and McDonald's is a franchise company, so they're not necessarily responsible for every single practice that does happen. Uh, but there was a case of multiple different uh, children that were working at their facilities, uh, including the most extreme example, which was a 10-year-old operating a fryer uh, at 2 a.m. in the morning, uh, which is, again, a bit further than would be deemed acceptable, not only in the case of morally, uh, but within the realms of the law. Uh, a few months ago, back in March, uh, there was also an incident where the Tyson, the chicken company, was found employing many migrant children uh, within their plants and facilities, not doing any background checks on them, uh, kind of having a don't ask, don't tell uh, philosophy when it came to hiring these children. And so instead of getting uh, schooling and education through our systems, they were instead working to try to make a living in destitute uh, positions in a very, very dangerous industry. So those were the main topics uh, that we had today. Uh, we have a bit of statistics on child labor, uh, as well as like the likelihood of injury, uh, especially in more dangerous jobs, and that can be brought up by Britain. Yeah, so according to um, national bureaus on labor and according to nonprofit groups that like to study and track child labor, 
In the United States of America, we don't know for sure how many kids are employed underage in dangerous conditions because obviously if you're an employer, you don't want to publicize that. You don't want to give that information away. But we are able to track information on injuries and they're horrifying. What we found is that every year in the United States, around 200,000 injuries are sustained by child laborers on the job, so kids working in dangerous conditions. And even worse than that, in the United States, which, need I remind you, is the wealthiest, most developed nation in the history of the world, depending on how you look at it, around 70 kids die each year on the job working in these dangerous conditions. Now, it's not like they go to work and they already have a health condition and something happens. It's that they are put in these conditions that are deadly, that are fatal, and there are actions to that consequence, and these kids are losing their lives. Once again, that's around 70 per year. And then to uh, broaden that out a little bit uh, more, Sam, you had some data and information on child labor statistics as a whole, as well as a few breakdown observations. Yeah, um, well, absolutely. And Thanks to some research that Braden did from the Wisconsin Public Radio that found that uh, there are some companies, this particularly in the meat processing industry, that are committing some of the most egregious violations of child labor, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is the main law in the federally that governs child labor. It was uh, enacted in 1938 during the New Deal as a way to address the ongoing problem of child workers being exploited in the United States prior to that. Um, and, you know, the overall labor movement really fought for uh, the rights of children to be able to attend school and not have to be out in the mines at the time. And um, but here we are in 2023 and uh, some large pro companies, particularly one known as Packer Sanitation Services, Inc., just was ordered by the U.S. District Court of Nebraska to pay a $1.5 million fine to rectify the fact that they were employing well over 100 minors between the ages of 13 and 17 in some of their meat processing plants in Minnesota and Nebraska. Which So that fine came out to about $15,000 per employee as a fine. And my question, I suppose, would be, is that fine if it's coming out to a $15,000 per kid fine? Like, does that money go back to the kids or their families as some sort of restitution for the exploitation. I'm not really sure. Um, but they were being hired to clean a lot of this meat processing equipment in low visibility conditions, working around toxic chemicals, um, doing jobs that, you know, are far beyond what we would imagine teenagers would be doing as a part-time way to earn some extra money. Uh, these are really kind of dangerous jobs that should require that, you know, in an ideal world would not only require professionals who are working, but ideally with union protections as well. Obviously, none of that is going on here. And some of the records from the Occupational Safety and Health Administration find that this company has a particularly spotty record when it comes to employee safety. Um, just in some of the past several years, there's been four amputations and three deaths at some of their meat processing plants, including a decapitation by a machine that was turned on while the employee was inside fixing it. Um, there was another incident of a corkscrew mixing conveyor that amputated a worker's finger while he was removing a blockage and a nitrogen leak in a poultry processing plant in Georgia that killed six workers. And basically saying that this company that employs about 17,000 employees nationwide across the meat processing plants um, 
that's a pretty low volume, I suppose, for that industry they're saying of staff and that compared to their industry competitors, it's a very, very high number of serious injury reports. So clearly you have certain repeat offenders and, um, you know, like I was saying about the, 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 the jobs that the kids were being ordered to do, uh, I, I think it's indicative of a larger issue of the, you know, kids, particularly most of these kids are, are migrant children, um, often being sent by themselves from countries in Central America and elsewhere, uh, away from their, their families will send them to the United States with the purpose of earning some money to send them money back and hopefully get the rest of the family to be able to follow them eventually to the United States. And, um, what that ends up happening is that the kids barely, if ever get enrolled in public school, there's no accountability. They'll often be sent to family members that they've never met or, um, you know, some of these illegal smugglers who, you know, will promise to take care of them, but ultimately end up never, you know, sometimes these kids never end up hearing from again. And so it, that, that's, that's the largest demographic that's being exploited under these conditions. And they're the ones who have the least ability to be heard from by our media, by the public, because they have very few ties in this country of anybody looking out for them. And uh, many of them may not even speak English. So it's a very, very difficult situation for the Department of Labor or for OSHA to be able to investigate because who are they going to talk to? You know, the employers, the employers are going to be the ones who speak to them. Uh, so I find that very troubling. Okay. Yeah. And and the, the thing that I also want to uh, say when again, we're talking on this is that it's not um, on this podcast, we're not trying to say, hey, all child labor uh, within the context of teenagers working is something that is particularly bad. Uh, within the state of Iowa, there was polling that was conducted and the uh, opinions on whether or not teenagers should be able to work, period, uh, was in the difference of 50-50. The main issue that we have when we're talking about the grievance of this is more so, one, the groups that it tends to exploit, uh, which we'll go into a little bit more data in a moment, uh, of different ethnicities, uh, as well as, um, I don't believe we have income uh, levels, but def- different ethnicities ethnicities and who is working those types of jobs, as well as the dangers that are being worked uh, without those productions. Uh, For example, here in Florida, uh, it is very popular uh, for you to be working at Publix. And Sam, if you want to talk a little bit more on kind of the difference of uh, trying to apply to Publix and uh, experience of colleagues and from their experience working there uh, versus then going back to are our work within these much, much more dangerous jobs. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, well, I mentioned that in our meeting, but uh, I think that, yeah, there's a huge, huge difference between the jobs that are typical for American children to be working when they're in high school or uh, in the summertime. You know, there's a certain category of jobs that I think we've deemed it's acceptable for minors to be able to get some work experience, be able to earn some money for themselves to save up for a car or college or whatever they're worried about. And, um, and and I think that's a very, very different category of labor than some of these extremely toxic, intensive and dangerous jobs that 
are actually happening. So, uh, you know, did you, like, did you want to share uh, the statistics that you had across ethnicities uh, that we talked about? Uh, yeah. So there's, there's, um, let me see here. Well, it says that, okay, uh, the Department of Labor says that uh, there's 21 million 16 to 24-year-olds in the United States who are employed. So that's about 55% of the 16 to 24-year-olds just in general in the country that are, uh, you know, employed in, in the labor participation rate in some way. And it, was, it had dipped a bit during the pandemic and then was sort of rebounding. And they typically find that the peak month of the year for that demographics employment is July because uh, it's most common for kids to take those jobs in the summer more common than in the school year and to be working more in the summer. So, so that's, that's, you know, fine. And most of those jobs I would say are above board. There's, you know, nothing inherently wrong with them. I mean, like I was giving the example of Publix, because here in Florida, I think that's a very common thing if you grow up here. Um, Publix is one of the few large employers in Florida that will hire kids as young as 14 to work there at stocking shelves or bagging groceries or working. Yes, this is a grocery supermarket for those who are not. Yeah, yeah. For those who might not be in Florida, this is a very... um, so like a Safeway, Trader Joe's, yeah, uh, but yeah, a little well, bit nicer, a private yeah, company, was, and they have stock yeah. options for employees. Yeah, they 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 are known in Florida as actually a very solid company to work for because you can get stock options. You they they okay. often have a lot of opportunities for internal promotion, and um, it's very common for high school kids to get jobs at Publix because of that reason, and um, and you know they pay well better than some. So so you know, the, that's, that's one thing. And I think that that's what like most American kids would think of as, as that's the job to get either that, or, you know, there's a number of other jobs they can do. But earlier you're talking on percentages but, between. Yes, yeah. So there's, a, there's a huge disparity within like the different demographics of legal work just for youth in the United States. Um, it was saying like, okay, well, for example, in July, 2022, 24% of employed 16 to 24 year olds worked in the leisure and hospitality industry. Uh, another 19% worked in the retail trade industry, 12% in education and health services. Um, so, you know, those are going to be mostly like restaurant jobs, jobs at the mall, retail jobs, uh, education and health services. I guess that could be like tutoring or working at a community center or things like that. Um, those again, I think are acceptable. And as long as they're, you know, working in reasonable hours and being paid properly, that's fine for some experience for kids. Um, but of course, even among those jobs, there is a large disparity of, you know, who's really forced to, to get a job when they're still in school. And, um, I'll pull up those statistics here. Give me one second. Uh, and, and there, and, and so to, bring things back and Brendan, you're uh, welcome to ch- chime in here is that when we're looking at teenagers more specifically on that 14 to 16 range, these are children that are working longer hours. And when they're having to work these jobs in order to try to help with these conditions, what ends up happening is you have to sacrifice something. Uh, you can sacrifice doing homework and school performance and academic performance, which is going to make it harder to get a better education going forward. You can sacrifice, you know, your sleep or social status, which will allow you to be you know, more isolated 
from your friends or make it a harder time being able to socially adjust. Um, if you are working just in general, again, for many, many hours, then you are going to be a little bit more stressed because you're going to be needing to still deal with other people while not quite having all of your mental capacities up because you are you know, still someone who is growing up and still learning as you're going through hormones and brains. And, and do you want to talk anything on, on, on that end? Yeah, so... Something that I was thinking as you were talking, as you were describing um, often the sacrifices that these kids have to make and which kids actually have to take these dangerous long hour jobs. This sounds a lot like human trafficking. I mean, hypothetically, hopefully nobody's putting a gun to these kids' heads and saying, go work at that restaurant until 4 a.m., go work in that meat plant. But these kids are in conditions that are not suitable for them by any sense of the imagination. And a lot of times they are lied to to get into these jobs. So when recruiters are trying to get, say, 14-year-olds to go work in a factory at night, they're not going to say, oh, well, this job's very dangerous. People do get amputated. People get stabbed with whatever machinery all the time. So in a sense, a lot of these kids are manipulated into these jobs, and it's because, frankly, they have no choice. So it's not human trafficking like we think, that type of slavery, but in a way it almost is wage slavery because these kids are forced to make a dilemma. It's either they work in these jobs or their family doesn't eat or they don't eat or they don't afford survival. So really... What is the difference between this and what we would think of as child trafficking, other than this is a less extreme, slightly more voluntary form of that? So I want to, uh, I did find those statistics I was mentioning before to you all. And it, the reason that they sounded so strange to me, I now realize is because they were from 1880 um, <laughs> on child labor. And so that's why I was like, there's no way that, these um, numbers are correct, but they were in 1880. And so which is the first census that there was actually national statistics on child labor ever taken in the United States. So that's why they could go back. But this article is extremely interesting in sort of giving the contextualizing how, you know, the country really was founded on child labor in many ways. And um, it's, you know, just to sort of summarize a little bit of it, it says, in the colonial period and into the 1800s, parents and guardians generally required children to work. Initially, most of the population worked in agriculture and children gradually moved into tasks demanding greater strength and skills as they aged. Um, going on a little bit more, it says, like at every life cycle stage, farm owning families in the Midwest, for example, earned approximately 30% of their gross farm revenue from growing Cereal crops, 29% from dairy poultry market, 22% from land capital improvements, 15% from hay and livestock. Child labor added to that value tremendously, saying that children under seven reduced the value of the farm output, presumably because they reduced their mother's economic activities. But for age children, ages seven to 12, the family's output increased about $16 per year. So it's to say that like it, they relied, which I guess at the time was a lot of money. Yeah, so okay. they, yeah. So, so I, uh, you know, that thank you for the history lesson part uh, to, to bring up a little bit of modern data, uh, just going back of the past five years, this is off of the, uh, 
uh, the Department of Labor uh, information, we had uh, in 2019, 858 cases uh, with child labor violations. Uh, then in 2020, it did go down slightly to 851. Then 2021 is 747. And then in 2022, 835. And to have that amount uh, of child labor violations with the amount of child laborers uh, going from 3,000 roughly in 2019, uh, 3,300 in 2020, 2,800 in 2021, and 3,800 in 2022, to have the amount of, again, violations and breaking the law uh, is something of concern. But the other part, again, when we're talking about concern here, is trying to loosen the child labor protections and the laws that have been being repealed and the effects that it then has. I was fortunate enough to not need to work when I was in high school. Uh, instead, I was able to participate in sports and that sports had me uh, basically in the pool. Uh, I was a swimmer and water polo player, uh, but I was swimming at 6.20 a.m. and I would be at school uh, for the most of the day. I'd then have two hours to go home before going back to practice and finishing up at uh, 6.30 uh, PM every single day, uh, Monday through Friday. And that was really great informative in terms of me being able to work on a team and being able to be in great physical shape. And by again, having these longer hours or having looser restrictions without having additional compensation, uh, that is something where we're starting to run into a little bit of more concern uh, and more danger. Again, working a certain amount of hours. And earlier in our pre-talk today, uh, we were talking about how a certain state had expanded from 30 hours to, I believe it's 35 hours. Uh, New Hampshire. Yeah. Uh, if you want me to say that. So yes. it, New Hampshire's governor signed a law recently that he, he, he did some changes to the labor uh, codes in New Hampshire that basically allow for bussers as young as 14 years old to clear tables where liquor is served. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, if they're already working at it to me, that's not very egregious. Like that just kind of seems like another part of the job expands for, but, but he also, what, what I found more surprising was that he expanded in that same bill the number of hours that 16 and 17 year olds can work during the school year from 30 hours a week to 35 hours a week. And that number completely just blew me away. Um, because to think that it was even 30 before, but now it's 35, you know, when you're talking about 16 and 17 year olds, those are kids that are in high school, which means that they're in school, you know, presumably eight hours a day, or, you know, and then whatever other commitments they might have plus homework, and then to think that they're like allowed legally to also work up to 35 hours a week in a job just doesn't even seem like it would be physically possible because of the, to me, like the timing of it. I don't know when those hours would get put in if they're at school all day. Um, that's almost a full-time job. And so the fact that he voted, you know, to expand that is deeply troubling, but also reflective, I guess, of how pervasive the labor shortage is in the country right now that like employers are having to turn to high school kids to fill some of these spots, which I, I do buy that because I know that many industries are struggling to find workers. Well, that's um, something I, I also would love to, you know, chime in on and, and Braden, I, I really want to hear your opinions on this too, 
is it, it does feel like, hey, there is a hiring shortage despite the amount of job growth uh, continuing to go up uh, with every single report that we've had uh, quarterly. But the other uh, part is like, would you flip burgers for $100,000 a year? Answer yes or no. Hell yeah, for $100,000. Okay. Worse. Would that you would you really flip burgers for $50,000 a year? You know, that's maybe a solid way. But the 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 thing with that uh in, in bringing that up just uh, as an example is that it's not necessarily the labor that is being the issue is the issue is with the payment of how much work compared to how much payment that there is. Uh, to bring up a personal example of me, uh, I was able to work at uh, Twisty Treat, which is a fantastic ice cream place. The hours were um, a little bit fluctuating, but I, I was able to work there and I was getting paid the same hourly rate uh, as uh, one of my friends at the time uh, who was working at a plant nursery in the Florida heat uh, under grueling hours. So she was able to get more hours uh, so that, you know, I'll give her that in terms of the difference, but we were both getting the same income. And again, it's does really feel like, at least to me, when we are seeing these pressure, you know, coming out of seemingly nowhere um, with trying to make it easier for other people to work, it is due to, again, trying to say, oh, well, we squeezed out, you know, enough work from these people. Well, we need to expand our pool more and more, uh, even though migration also is great for expanding your uh, pool of employers, uh, as well as, again, just increasing your wages does do a, a large quantity of that, uh, even if it does potentially cut into profits, uh, which, by the way, with the prices going up as much as they have, uh, does bring the mark like the rate that you're paying your employees down also compared to other factors but yeah we're in, uh, anything on that? year after year after year of record high corporate profits and you know what if you're willing to hire a 13 year old to work in a condition that could potentially take an arm take a limb or even take their whole life you can afford to raise your wages so that you don't have to be in that position to hire kids in the first place or better yet, you can afford to create safer conditions and a better workplace for your workers so that people actually want to go and be employed there. Now, you know what? If some CEO, God forbid, poor them, has to only get a $1 million raise each year instead of $4 million, I mean, poor them. We'll say our prayers for them. But, you know, you can afford to pay your damn workers and and, and, and to not necessarily strawman this, and I, I, I do want to go back to the... Um, Iowa Senate bill. It is not 13 year olds and 14 year olds that are necessarily working on those dangerous jobs. It is putting uh, 15, 16 and 17 year olds within the dangerous jobs of assembly plant working. Oh, they are also working as young at that age, too. I mean, I. I, Yes, but that that part is technically illegal. Um, But yeah, I'm referring to the Wisconsin case, which was obviously illegal. Yeah. So so where 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 I I, want to, you know, split the, the conversation is that there is the talking of one greatly for because how can we change it? And what I'm talking about, we I'm talking about we as citizens and lawmakers. It's like, what can we do? Well, one, the, the least that we can do 
is not be repealing the current safeties that we have. And if we are going to be repealing the safeties, at least have it be at massive compensation. If you are someone that is working at you know, 14, 15, 16, because you were either going on your own uh, and left the school early or because your family is desperate, then I feel like having an increased minimum wage at the very least for those types of jobs should be good. I do think it's also still reasonable to have restrictions on youth working uh, when it comes to either overnight or the jobs and professions uh, that are working, uh, which again was the place and was the law and still is the law in many areas. Uh, but again, in Ohio, uh, sorry, Iowa uh, is, is, is on its track to be repealed. And then the last part with that is uh, to address the illegal portions of that, the cost of, you know, a fine is the cost of doing business. It is something that is kind of put into the business model. Oh, well, if it's going to cost me this amount, that amount, then I'm going to be okay with that. I, I, I can go into a, a case where it was the Ford Motor Vehicles, and there was actually a reason why we have a minimum amount of cost for human life. But this is much more of a consumer case. Uh, and that goes to, uh, there was a Ford Pinto model. It was a model of vehicle that had their gas in the trunk. So if you rear-ended the trunk, the car would explode. Ford realized this, but instead of issuing a recall, they figured that the cost of the lawsuits would be less than the cost of recalling all the cars and putting it properly underneath the vehicle. And so it led to the deaths of thousands of people. Then there was a great you know, class action lawsuit but you cannot replace the loss of human life. So to, to bring things you know, back to this, it's trying to lobby, trying to call for you know, either harsher fines, harsher restrictions, uh, or you know, taking away the ability to operate you know, your business and being shut down uh, completely. I feel like being able to revoke licenses would be something that'd be a much stronger message uh, or at the very least, having massive amounts of compensation for every single infraction blown to be able to increase the chance of whistleblowers at all be effective. But or of course, you know, increasing just unionization within the areas. Which Sam, if you want to talk a little bit more on that, uh, in a well, bit. I yeah, I could do a lot on the labor stuff, but. Um, I do want to just highlight because we talked about the kids who are so. The Department of Labor does estimate that there are about one to two million children across the United States who are working illegally in some of these jobs. And what the New York Times revealed in a deep dive that they did recently was that there's an entire shadow workforce of mostly migrant children across industries in every state. And just for some examples, um, 12-year-olds working as roofers in Florida and Tennessee, 13-year-old girls washing hotel sheets in Virginia, 13-year-old boy in Michigan making auto parts on an overnight shift that went till 6.30 in the morning, 12-year-olds working for Hyundai subsidiaries in Alabama. All of these products that might say that they're made in the United States, which might make you think, oh, okay, you know, they, they're not made in a third world country in a sweatshop because you know, that's why we pay more for them. And then come to find out that, you know, even here in the United States, they're using child labor and... Um, and, and, and kids that are, you know, for the large part, have no ability to advocate for themselves, A, because of the fact that they're 12 and 13 years old, so they just might not even have the vocabulary to advocate for themselves, but also largely because they might be undocumented, they, they're far away from their families, 
And in many cases, they don't even speak English. So how is, you know, a child in that position who's being forced into this, you know, position or risk deportation or some negative legal outcome, you know, if, if the Department of Labor, and, and I know we took a, we went back to those statistics that said like there was 3,800 violations in 2022 or something like that, that just goes to show to me how underreported the problem is. Because if there's only 3,800 violations being reported to the Department of Labor in an entire year in a country of 300 something million people, that, that tells you that there's thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands more cases that are not being reported. And um, a lot of these jobs are are not places that most of the public would be familiar with. So, you know, if it's meat processing plants, agriculture, you know, out in fields in rural areas, these are places that like most of us on a day-to-day basis are never really encountering. So it's not like you're going to know if, the, you know, these kids are out there working um, and the employers rely on that. They know that I think the majority of the public is, is kind of blind to this and doesn't really want to know. And, um, you know, these laws are quietly getting passed, like you talked about in Iowa, where some of the most archaic laws that they just passed, they do them in the quiet of the night, like the the one in Iowa, Senate File 542, that just allowed uh, 14-year-olds, all these different changes, which we can talk about. They, that bill was passed at 4.52 in the morning in the legislature. So they were working deep into the night making sure that, you know, they waited till everybody was asleep and the media was not watching to pass this bill uh, <laughs> that will roll back child labor protections to the 1930s. So, yeah. and, and just just to push back a little bit on, because I feel like making the claim of the current evidence that we have is evidence of underreporting. Uh, I don't have anything uh, specific on that. I'm not sure if you do. So I, I don't want to necessarily go into that realm of, Again, straw manning, I'll, I'll, I'll just say to that. But again, what we do have that we talked about earlier today was the effects that are leading, that we have the injury reports and we do have some death reports. Uh, similarly to, again, like migrants, a lot of um, the cases of companies looking the other way is more so like bringing your, your, bringing your child to work day. Because um, again, the, these are families that are t- typically lower income uh, and needing to rely on it and not being able to have uh, those levels of education. And this is also something that has been addressed by the White House more recently uh, as a growing issue. And I think that to then have, okay, the White House is saying this is an issue, and then the GOP to say, oh, well, we shouldn't have an issue, uh, and we should actually make it easier, uh, That that is where I my bigger concerns are, and that that's where I've tried to say a little bit more grounded but so the, the let me talk about the bill a little bit it, it in iowa because it, it would this is what what is legally now allowed according to what the senate passed there which is that 14 year olds can work six hour night shifts 15 year olds can perform light assembly work whatever that means moving items up to 50 pounds 16 and 17 year olds can serve alcohol if their parent or guardian signs a waiver that to me was a very curious one because I didn't know that there was such a desperate need for teenagers to be serving alcohol. Um, but to me, I don't think about the risk of like the serving of the alcohol to me, what, what would be the problem with that is, and because I work in the hospitality industry and I, I am around bartenders on a daily basis. I know that the biggest risk to a 16 or 17 year old who's being asked to do that is not that they might consume alcohol. I think the risk is that they're going to be faced with a very aggressive or drunk customer 
who could wield a certain amount of power over them that they are not equipped to handle as a 16 or 17 year old. And that's partly why the injury rates for child and youth workers are higher than they are for the general workforce is because of their generally inexperienced. And um, so, you know, they're more likely to have a problem or not know how to respond to a situation. And so all of these things are, are very troubling because, you know, it's like, these are laws that were passed 80 to 100 years ago that are now being readdressed. Um, that should tell us how dire the labor shortage is or just how much legislatures are willing to sacrifice to make these employers happy. And then, Brandon, anything else that you want to add and turn into the conversation? Honestly, I feel like a lot of what had to be said has already been said, but I'm just going to say it once more. If you don't want to have to be in the position to hire children, then you should make your job a whole lot better. Okay, give your workers a salary increase. Make sure the conditions aren't dangerous. Make it a positive, happy, safe workplace. Because guess what? Then you are going to get people who want to work for you. I mean, look, nobody in the United States wants to work. Like Nobody wakes up at 6 a.m. and thinks, oh, God, I can't wait to go to work today and spend Monday through Friday there. But if you are able to create a workplace that is at least slightly positive, safe, and encouraging, then you aren't going to be in that issue where you're so desperate looking for new employees that you look towards children legally as young as 16, 15, 14, or illegally migrant children as young as 13 or 12. And I just want to mention, because I know we talked about the evidence of the underreporting, Another reason I cite that is because there's the child labor civil penalties that were paid out. And this is from the Department of Labor. Child labor civil penalties that were paid out in fiscal year 2022, only $4.3 million by employers were paid out in these civil penalties across the country for the entire year. And in the years before that, it had only been lower, like one, two, three million. That's a very, very low amount of money of penalties for the amount of child labor that's going on and for the the vastness of the country. Like if, if, if the penalties that are being paid are, are just a few million dollars for employers that are making billions and billions, you know, that there's, there's a lot more going on under the radar. And, and these, these federal agencies are so understaffed and so um, under-resourced, I think that they, they don't have the ability to do all of the investigation that they should be doing because you know, maybe a Republican Congress took away all of the funding and, you know, they're down to a shoestring budget. So there, there is a lot more going on under the radar, I think, than, than anybody is really wants to, to admit. I think it's, it's. Yeah. And, and I, I also want to say, like, I, I agree that there's a very high likelihood of underreporting. Um, I just wanted to you know, kind of rein that in uh, initially uh, if, without, Basically, I, I, I when I when we make claims, I want to try to stay uh, closer to. Hey, here's here's what I'm having that I'm basing it off of. But yeah, anything else that you want to say as we wrap up? Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the, I, I mean, I don't know how much you guys know about some of these other cases, but uh, you know, there, there there's a lot that we could talk about. I, you know, I. Uh, I, I, I know there, there was that, I, did we address the, the McDonald's story of the 10 year olds, or I guess we touched on it a little bit, but yeah. So, so 
j- just a little bit more uh, details on the McDonald's case. It was in uh, a few franchises uh, across the states in McDonald's. You had multiple cases of children that were working between the ages of 10 and 15. Uh, again, with the most extreme example being someone that was working uh, the deep fryer, which is already a more dangerous job, uh, As but the main, main thing being uh, being a 10-year-old uh, that was doing so. Uh, if you had more that you want to add on to that, um, uh, it said the story said that they were the children of a night manager who were like staying with them at work, I guess. Um, and that there's where these franchisees were were having to pay a couple hundred thousand dollars in civil penalties for allowing the managers to bring their 10 year old children to work. And, um, you know, to me, that speaks to it a deeper issue around, I think, labor in general in the country that is not necessarily just about children. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm putting myself in the position of that night manager that might feel compelled to have their two 10-year-old children with them at work because maybe the night manager at McDonald's doesn't make enough money for childcare for their kids to be anywhere else if they have to be at work until two in the morning. And the fact that maybe that McDonald's is so understaffed that there's nobody else to help work the front, you know, all of these things are, 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 are systemic problems with labor in the country that are so, you know, that I don't necessarily fault a parent who's in a very difficult position. It's more about why is the restaurant not, you know, covering the manager to make sure that they're not put in this position in the first place and, and making sure that staff is adequate making sure that childcare is a priority for children. These are all connected issues. And, um, and that, and that is also something that the uh, state where we, when COVID happened, we passed the child tax credits. Uh, These child tax credits uh, were thousands of dollars per child that were given out to families, uh, not only during the pandemic, but it was up to be voted on and continued to be passed uh, going in the future. The existence of these child tax credits brought child poverty to the lowest that it had ever been. Uh, I believe the initial numbers, it went from uh, 4.8 to 3.2%. The uh, GOP and I believe is the GOP plus Manchin were the reason why we no longer have these child tax credits and the reason why we have uplifted millions out of child poverty only to send them back down. And that, I think, is also a definite tragedy to have happened, but luckily is something that we as voters can continue to undo by advocating for this, at the very least, to be repealed back, to advocate for policies that make it so you don't need to go and work as someone, let work in a dangerous industry if you are 15, 16, 17. Uh, to be able to have those safety nets for the people that are still growing in our nation. And why don't you guys expand a little bit more? Because I know in the meeting we spoke about the fact that the more that kids like this are forced into these positions, the less time they have to focus on their education and the overall advancement of their future career. You know, that's another thing that I think could be some, if you want to expand on that a little bit. Um, yeah, like, that, that's something that I touched on uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, again, with talking about me where I, I did not have to 
you know, work because I was in a very fortunate position uh, during high school. Uh, but again, the things that you have to sacrifice for that, uh, it, and it's not, it's not a surprise again, where if you do not have the same level of funds to be doing activities, to be able to have a childhood, to be able to, you know, socially develop and adapt, then that is going to be a moment of your life that, well, you started working and you start working and you continue working and you continue working and continue working. And just from a more moral societal standpoint, uh, you know, what good is GDP when your citizens are you know, suffering on behalf of your productivity? And that, that, that is more of the moralist uh, on my end, in my perspective. But I, again, do not fault people that are in that very unfortunate position. Uh, well, while, so that's why I continue to advocate for policies that will decrease the likelihood of you being having to make that impossible choice. Well, Braden, maybe because I think you're the youngest here, you were in high school most recently, you might be able to speak on the educational gaps that occur when when kids are put into this position. Um, you know, I mean, I certainly can remember it myself. Uh, like I worked a little bit in high school, like I said, but not very much. I was not forced to be in a position where I had to think about having to go to work every day on top of my studies. And I think that's a very, very important distinction to make because, you know, you sure like that you can make an argument that kids are going to get some valuable career experience out of some work. And maybe that's true. And maybe that's true for internships and things in the summer and some part-time work, but ultimately like at that age, and especially with the nature of education today. And I think how, how rigorous some courses are, especially if you're trying to take higher level courses and get into college, um, you know, kids, kids, if they're working all the time, are not going to have time to dedicate towards the studying that it really takes to, to succeed in those courses. I mean, it takes a lot of work. And um, so I don't know if Braden, you want to expand on that a little bit from your experience or. Yeah. So as the youngest, thanks for getting out there. <laughs> makes me feel young again. I say that like I'm 80 years old. But I, too, was in a privileged position where, I mean, look, my family made enough. It was never a thing that where I had to go to work to help support my family. Um, the reason I ended up getting a job in high school was just because I wanted some extra spending money for myself. And even then, I was very fortunate where I found some pretty amazing jobs where I would really just have to work like five hours almost entirely on the weekend but I mean, yeah, I did a lot of APs in high school, actually, so much so that I'm skipping a year of college. And there is absolutely no way I could have done that if I was working every night of the week or say three or four nights out of the week, because high school takes a lot out of you. It takes time out of your day. You also need time to rest and recover after that. You need time for self-care to focus on yourself so you're not physically dying or mentally dying. And if you're throwing work on top of that, look, a few hours after school in a serving position, for example, like we were talking about, or baking groceries, yeah, that's fine. That's not going to hurt you. That's not going to take too much away from you. But if you're losing sleep, if you're losing the ability to do homework and to study or to actually make it to school on time, that's when it creates that never-ending cycle of poverty where, look... You were born in an unfortunate situation, so you had to go to work. You missed out on education, which prevented you from rising up. And now you're essentially doomed to a life of poverty, and your kids are going to be repeating that cycle. 
This is really the same issue that has been plaguing America throughout our nation's history. And I just want to say one thing that I feel like we kind of touch on with the child tax credit, one of the most effective, if not the most effective way to end child labor besides actually enforcing the laws would be universal child care, which sounds big, scary, and expensive, but it's a lot cheaper than it seems. And also the results are going to pay for it multiple times over in the future. If you want to keep your kids safe, you invest in them. Yeah, agreed. And I, I feel that's a pretty good way to uh, end us off. Um, so any final closing thoughts? Are we good? I'm good. Okay. Well, then, thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening today uh, for our slightly shorter than usual episode. Next week, I will not be here, but we'll have Brayden uh, to speak a little bit on the crown, imperialism, and the other things that are happening in the, U, uh, the UK slash overseas in honor of our great monarch's crowning. God save the king, or, you know, maybe don't save him. I don't care. Uh, God, God save the, the actually, regicide, regicide. No, okay, we're fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, thank you. And we'll see you next week. Good night, everybody. Bye. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.